I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph. I'm Brian Moore, and joining the show today are Saracen's scrum half and England's scrum half, Richard Wigglesworth, and the former Scotland fullback, Sean Lamont. Nigel Owens is here to take us through the slimming down of rugby's laws, plus George Robson is going to give us a tactical breakdown of how to attack well in rugby. First, I'm joined here in the studio by the man who has coached the Fiji Sevens team to Olympic gold and two world championships, Ben Ryan. Hello, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Brian. And, and, yeah, I'm looking forward to tonight. It's great. Yeah, well, we're slightly different show. We're going to have a cursory look at the uh, Premiership and then uh, look back at some of the uh, highlights and lowlights of 2017 and any of the burning issues that come up uh, arising out of the programme or indeed that we choose to feature. Uh, Big Game 10, 77,000 people there. Remarkable feat, actually, in 10 years to think that you've had a club, any club side, not just Quinns, could regularly draw that amount of people. Um, and I've seen nearly all of them, and I believe at least half of them have been dire. But uh, yesterday's game was it was entertaining, uh, not necessarily in a purist way, because there were far too many loose bits of play. And I suppose uh, I've got a statistic here which I find difficult to believe, which I'm assured is true that Quinns have not won three matches in a row now for three years. Um, I Quinns and Northampton, I like us clubs, because I think they've developed in the right way. They've not brought in huge amounts of capital from abroad mm. and taken huge debts on. They've stayed in their grounds. Mm. They've built incrementally. They try to have good youth policies, and yet um, they've struggled for consistency. And you have to say that Northampton yesterday were, whilst they've taken some strides forward this season, that was a poor performance. It it was, you know, you you sort of felt that was going to happen with the the game the week before when they were at home against Exeter, and that was, I guess, almost immediately in the aftermath of, of Jim leaving, and yeah, they they did look like they they lacked direction, they lacked purpose, and it's hard to, you know, I th- I feel sorry that it, I, I think you can see now that it's not just it wasn't just Jim that was that the issue, you know, there's wider ranging problems off the field and on the field. Um, and I, and I could just see a whole. There was a. They were bereft of a, of a, of any sort of momentum in the game, and Quinns didn't have to play that well to score almost fifty points. But you know, they. they yeah, it's a tale of of woe really at Saints at the moment, and with the quality they've got, maybe last year losing Pickamoles, uh, maybe he actually kept kept them together for a little bit longer than than the than this season where it showed that they just don't have that cohesion on the field and it's going to be tough for them in the Six Nations as well because they're going to lose a whole array of, of internationals. Well, the thing is, I mean, I, in the uh, the pre-match Q&A, which I did, I didn't realise that during the game I'd be sat next to the Northampton top brass when I said that uh, if Quinns were going to play 
Northampton. It was the right time because they were shambles. Yeah. Um, and funnily enough, um, without naming names, they, they virtually agreed and said, look, the problem we've got uh, several fold are that we're playing rugby as it was, you know, three or four years ago and the game's moved on, which I'll get your view on in a minute. But also, you know, Jim Mallinder as director of rugby had to take the ultimate responsibility. Mm-hmm. But bearing in mind we've got 12 players out of contract next year, the guy who comes in is going to have complete autonomy in terms of who he retains or who he gets rid of in management, coaching and playing. So there could be a bit of a call. But the problem is, as England found after the 2003 World Cup, if you lose a whole raft of senior players, you lose all that experience as well. What you need to be doing, and this is one of the most difficult problems in rugby, is you need to be saying goodbye to the people who've brought you success and the stalwarts of the club or the country a little bit earlier Mm. than they would want to or necessarily you might want to, and you need to do that on a regular basis so you don't have this problem and you introduce the, the youth that you've got or other players you know, incrementally so they've got time uh, and space and the players around them have a sufficient experience. And whoever comes in is going to have a very difficult decision to make because you've got you know, players like Foden, Hartley, uh, Myler, um, you know, who, who've been there and, and, and been responsible for the, the triumphs that Northampton have got and yet they need to move on. Mm. And I also said, mm. um, playing the new way, you can't do that in... A few games that takes two or three seasons, and other players who are now senior still going to be there, and you know playing the top of their game when you get to that position when you finally make the change. It is difficult, and you know they're going to have to manage this transition very well. And and yeah, I mean, obviously, I imagine whoever they're targeting, generally, you know, will, will probably be in a job. Um, you know the best people generally are, and you know that if you if you then plump for someone that's out of a job at the moment, there's there's gen- generally a reason why that's the case. Um, so they're going to have to wait to get their man, and with that time delay, is going to come a- an issue on getting hold of the right staff around him and the right players to retain and and to to, to bring on board for what really is going to be a new chapter. You know, I think they do need a cull. You know, I mean, you hear. You, you hear too many stories and have spent time around that club to see that things aren't right and um, they, do need, they do need to have a clear out. I felt a little bit sorry for Alan Dickens in the last few weeks having to take up that mantle of caretaker coach. You know, it was, um, none, of, none of this is really his doing. Um, and, yeah, you know, he's, he's at a front up and I thought he'd, he did that pretty well in the last two weeks of the media. So, yep, some big changes needed from there. And, you know, this is a club that are full of history and tradition and success. And they've got a good youth set up, actually. Oh, they've got a great... But, again, you know, a few months ago, Dusty Hare left and went back to Tigers. And, you know, you wondered why. You know, he'd been there for a while. He'd already made that jump once from Leicester to, to Saints. He's got a good way of developing talent. And, um, uh, and he was the first one that went. And, you know, it's... They have got a great academy. They've got a good catchment area. They've produced some very good England youngsters at age group. And if you look down their squad, there's you know the vast majority are English qualified. So there's there's lots to be. I don't think it's going to take a huge amount to solve, but they need to they need to get on with it sooner rather than later. And they can't cont- carry on in limbo as they're, as they're currently doing. Well, let's go to a more, even more probably intractable problem: that of the French. <laughs> you know, who, who could have foreseen that Guy Novis? Um, you know, might be sacked as coach. I mean, when you're talking about Shambolic, their 
they they succeed in spite of themselves. I, I don't understand what goes on when people get promoted to the the you know the French top level, but they seem to go mad and. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't know where they're going, do you? Well, I've got to be very careful, Brian. I don't know if your podcast reaches across to France, but I'm uh, contracted with the FFR, so <laughs> I've, I've, only, I've only spent a few days and I'm, I'm generally involved with well, their 17th. Well, you whispered to me and I'll say it then. <laughs> but, you know, I was, I was in Marcoussi when the, the 15s team were preparing for all their November internationals and uh, obviously saw Guy and the rest of their staff um, preparing the team there's a couple of things that, that are absolutely obvious one is they are now suffering hugely from the long and uh, arduous top 14 and the influx of foreigners and complete lack of conditioning and fitness um, that they've now got I mean that French flair that we used to talk about that's, and the style it, of play and the start well. it's completely disappeared from yeah. top 14 completely gone and you're watching games where Montpellier are playing um Stade Francais and you know there's hardly any Frenchman playing involved and, and they've let it run away which is one of the reasons why I was writing and saying you know thank God for La Rochelle if, if that can be the catalyst to try and swing it away from the Toulon um, to a certain extent the Claremont type of game which is very big and mm. power based mm. you know then they might get back but the problem with these like Northampton is that doesn't happen overnight and in national terms it's even more an extended period because you've got a whole raft of, of youngsters coming up through the, you know, the academies and, and, and the schools and other systems who are being asked to play in, in, in a certain way and are being looked at and size has been the big thing and power. And to just reverse that, as, as Australia found with, with front row players, it takes a decade, really. It, it does. And, and this World Cup's going to, I mean, you know, as, as we all know, the, the French are capable of of putting together a, a fantastic performance, but I'd say that is becoming less the case now, that they aren't suddenly going to ups- upset the apple cart and, and have a big win unless they have this foundation. They have got some outstanding age group players and some kids in the espoirs, in the academies, uh, and it is, a, it is an amazing hotbed of talent in France, but they're not making any use of it at all. I was, you know, it's a shame you talk about La Rochelle, you know, their coach has done a wonderful job there, and, you, you know, you, you wondered whether, you know, if they'd just almost airlifted that entire management group into the French national side. It's not happened, and they've they've gone gone to. Uh, a well, but the thing is, with France, it's perfectly possible, but uh, yeah. it's un- unlikely. Um, let's all, uh, actually let's say very uh, hearty congratulations to Sam Warburton on his uh, OBE, much deserved. Um, mm. I think my knighthood's still in the post. Um, <laughs> I hope every every time there's one, I, it never never happens. One um, day, one day, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, another NFL signing. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? This cross-code hopping and all those sort of things. We had an England Sevens player, Alex Gray, that's in the Atlanta Falcons training group at the moment, has been all season, and now Christian Scotland-Williamson is off to the NFL from from Worcester. He's going to give it a crack. I know the NFL are desperate to widen their net. They actually do quite a lot of talent ID in the islands, particularly Samoa, um, and then they, they push them across to places like Hawaii State University. Uh, and they'll be, you know, I can see that in their long-term strategy, particularly with Tottenham Hotspur's ground development, they're, they're going to be looking to have a regular NFL team in London. Yeah. So, you know, these opportunities are going to appear and, and you know, the, the, the premiership game is becoming a little bit more attritional and akin to the NFL. You know, we watch multi-phase. It'd be quite a good idea if we limited the phases. With at least... I mean, the, what the, the problem, though, is 
even more so than rugby. You can teach players the road stuff, the line-outs, the drills, all these things. But what they don't have is when the game breaks down, they don't have the innate um, uh, sort of flexibility to, to read what's on the field. And mm. same you know, in American football, even more so, the playbooks are so big that even the basic uh, routes and the crossing routes and so on take a long time to learn. And, and, uh, and you know, with possession being an absolute key there, if you turn the ball over, even once, it can be the difference in a game. So, yeah. you know, just one mistake can, can see you culled. And therefore, everything is stacked against people, unless you're a kicker, maybe. Yeah, it's cra- uh, crazy. I mean, I, I, I've coached Jared Hayne, who obviously had a season in the NFL. He was telling me if you, if you, if you yawn in, in a playbook meeting, you get fined, I think, $500. And if you fall asleep in it, you get immediately dismissed. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I'm not sure if that would happen in rugby. Um, but, but the amount, you're, you're right, the amount of it that's playbook-led um, is crazy and and that lack of experience will, will count against all these guys that are trying to come across. Um, before we speak to Richard uh, Wigglesworth, let's just have a look at the uh, Sevens next year, the World Cup in San Francisco. Now, the men's and women's are being held together. Mm. Uh, is that the right decision? Yeah, it is. It's good, it's good to have to have that. And, and they seem to have, I think the last one was in Moscow and the one before that was in the UAE in Dubai. They tend to go to developing nations to host these things and this time it's in the US in at the giant stadium San Francisco the most expensive city in the world I think to host sporting events so it's going to be costing them an arm and a leg and it's a change in format it's a bit like the old Middlesex Sevens where it's almost straight knockout is it so, still relevant given the you know the Commonwealth and the personally and the Olympics look I, I, no I, it's I think if you ask the players they would probably they'd certainly rather win an Olympic gold medal um, they'd prefer to win a world series is far far harder to win okay. and then they'd probably even say hong kong sevens over a world cup but you never know you know i mean it's you know someone's going to come out at the end of that and say they're world champions um and it is an official event uh, i think the olympics just has usurped it now it's just it's just you know it's become secondary but you know i hope it i hope it goes well um, given given the straight knockout format might might we see you know an outlier a usa one or two athletes just Totally. Have a run of luck and yeah, I'd I'd love to see it. I mean, I've been seeing some development sevens going on around the world, and Uganda are really picking up, and they've qualified. Jamaica have have qualified for this World Cup, mm-hmm. and um, Madagascar just missed out, and they're, they're you know, and the Madagascans have just moved from 15s to sevens. They sell out the national stadium in Madagascar when their team plays. So sevens is is great for that. That you know, and I'd love to see a, a complete you know outsider and and actually you know Wales won it two two World Cups ago. Uh, as rank outsiders. Well, people have been warning and, you know, a lot of rugby writers saying, be careful about this because we don't want all these uh, second-tier so-called teams to simply focus on sevens because 15 is the game. And I say to them, I understand that. However, if you don't let the second-tier teams into the top two competitions as of right and allow them to qualify, you know, by promotion and relegation, albeit not necessarily year on year, but, you know, every two or three mm. years, if you don't open that up, what, what choice do they have? Yeah, I agree. I, look, I, don't, I honestly don't see it as a as a rival to the 15s game. 15s will always be the, the showpiece event in the World Cup. I think Olympics has allowed other countries to, to get involved with it. I think in the women's game, 7s will overtake 15s. I think, you know, that that's almost a, a gimme now. But um, I think it's just about increasing participation. Well, why do you say that? Well, because 
that's where lots of teams have just shut down their 15s programs totally and then they just they just start them up a few months before the world cup new zealand won the world cup 15s they hadn't played for 3 years and then they just rolled in and won it you know whereas england had had you know had kept their their game going and it's really only england and france at 15s for for 15 aside that that are pushing hard for international level to to remain at the highest level whereas in sevens you've got us canada um, even New Zealand and Australia, no, they're, they're prioritising that because it's Olympic Games now. OK, time to uh, move to uh, a discussion of the Premiership weekend just been. Wins for Saracens, uh, Newcastle, Wirtland and Irish. Uh, Gloucester, close victory over Sale Sharks. Quinns and Northampton, as we mentioned. And uh, what's a good win away at Bath. Um, time to speak to the Saracens in England scrum half, Richard Wigglesworth. Hello, Richard. Good evening, Jan. Hello, mate. Um, my... Uh, Mark McCall described the performance as patchy and, uh, you know, a lot of the doomsayers have been saying what's wrong with Saracens and yet you sit second in, in the table. But I think it's fair to say not the form you've, um, you know, not consistency that you've had in the past. Is there anything uh, major to worry about or just a dip in form? Uh, no, we did have a dip in form uh, and we probably maybe addressed it a little bit too late, uh, but we've done that now. And we think that we can hopefully next sort of three weeks are massive where we can get back to where we where we need to be. I think we've set such high standards now that uh, these patch performances and this slight loss of form are probably um, you could maybe overreact or uh, a little bit quickly. So we've just gone back to basics and kept it really simple, and that seemed to work for the last couple of weeks. So that was what you identified the the every you know, the Bill Belichick thing. Just do your job. Exactly. Yeah, we we really simplified everything. The, the big bits of the game never change, as you know, and um, we so we first started focusing on them really, just um, what we do well, how we do it, having um, real simple, clear messages in the week, um, and let the uh, the team leaders drive that, and and that's sort of seen a, a big improvement in uh-huh. standing in training, and, and sort of moved uh, onto the weekend. Hey, Wiggies, uh, Ben here. It's Hello, great, mate. Yeah, it's great to see that you're back. Are you you're fit, fit, and and raring to go now? Injuries behind you. Yes, so I got um, a little hip tendon tear, which is quite a strange one. And he initially said six to eight, um, and I managed to get back in three. But I think it was a quite a rare thing I did. So they uh, didn't have too much information on it. But after a couple of weeks, it felt significantly better. And uh, I'm not someone who particularly enjoys watching rugby. I quite like getting out there and playing it. So I was uh, pretty keen to make myself available as soon as possible. You're, you're, you've always fought in the last few years, you know, on all fronts, and that's been a, a testing of the squad depth, which you've shown you can do that. This season, um, are you still there or thereabouts in terms of the amount of fixtures and the different types of of, of competitions you're going to be, uh, you know, involved in? Well, we want we want to give ourselves a chance in the big two, don't we? Like uh, we've got two huge hanging, um, European games coming up. Um, that if we win it should be in our hands um, to get through and um, it's obviously a competition that we love and, and we'd love to defend but we know there's massive competitions I do think the standards in both competitions are getting harder so your squad gets definitely getting tested more you pick up a few injuries which we have um, I think you're more susceptible to getting beaten by anyone I think in years gone past I think we were Fortunately, we could rotate, we could afford the odd injury and stuff. And now with the amount of international players we've got and uh, the standards of the rest of the league, we lose a few players international or we, and or we get a few injuries. We do, uh, it does hurt us 
a little bit more than it maybe used to. Yeah, for sure. I've just got a slightly left of field question here. Obviously, I've, as you as you hopefully know, I've admired your game for a long time, and you're you're perhaps coming to the closer to the end of your career. Have yeah. you have you already got one eye on on coaching? Do you think that that's that's the next I, step for you? I have, yeah, yeah. It's it's something that uh, I'm pretty keen to pursue. So I've helped out with um, Harrow first team the last couple of years, um, along with Joe Ansborough there. Head coach, the ex Northampton and London Irish players, uh, who's doing a brilliant job down there. He finally let me come and sort of cut my teeth in a, a nice environment where the where the standard high and the boys listen to you. But I've just dipped my toe in there and something that um, I think it's I've just got a massive passion for the game and I can't see that dwindling. So you know they say that those who can't do teach. So I think that's the route <laughs> the route I'll be going down. Yeah. And do you, and and Saracens as a club, you know, I'm sure some of this stuff never comes through to the media or press but I, I'd imagine that they really help players in helping them to the next step and to doing all the stuff outside of rugby they do they do push us to do um, quite a bit outside of rugby so they, they know I want to coach and stuff so uh, they know that I'm forever pestering them about why they do things and um, what the plan is at the weekend and uh, what the debrief is because what they do is troll through all this footage and um, they have all these meetings and then they dumb it right down for the players really and decide what messages that we need to hear or what are the key bits and I'm keen to find out obviously more and more and they're really helpful on um, sort of breaking that down for me and I'm trying to go in with, it, with my eyes as wide open as possible really because I know it's going to be a huge difference from playing and a good player doesn't make a good coach so I'm, I'm trying to learn more about the coaching techniques and um, what sort of coach I want to be and um, how that's going to go forward so really interesting speaking to a lot of coaches. I had a meeting with Paul Gustav the other day, who's great with me and um, who's just improved improved immeasurably since he was at Saracens. So, a lot of people like that have been really helpful, um, hopefully, going forward. That's great. Well, Richard, um, you've had a good uh, 2017. Uh, Happy New Year to you and all the best in 2018. Thank you, fellas. And to you, Cheers. 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 Just picking up off uh, what Richard said, when you've got a team that's been successful, whether it's sevens or fifteens, and it's been at the top for two, three years. Obviously, uh, everyone else is looking and scrutinising your game. How can they neutralise that Movia? And you can't stand still. But how you move forward is a bit of a conundrum because you can't anticipate the counter strategies people are going to use against you fully. So how do you go about you know, making sure you are developing all the time? As a, I, th- you know, as a I, think, I think there's two parts to that, really. We've... You talk about the, the on-field, so what you can see, the, the tactics that teams employ and, and, and how to try to reduce that or to get, get over them. But it's the more subtle, immeasurables, off-field stuff that when you walk into Saracens and you know, the players, the way they, they treat you, the way that, that you meet them, the, you, the sense of the environment and that um, we talk about um, a psychological safety, but you feel that when you walk in somewhere like Saracens, and I'm lucky that you know, I, I was... Go, go to different clubs in different sports around the world and you see that they have a sense of purpose of belonging of achievement authenticity they they feel like they've got status and security and actually what Saracens have done is create this environment off the field that's just getting the very best out of their players mm-hmm. and that's 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 a hard thing to replicate and um, I think there's one thing going toe to toe with with a team on the field and then there's another actually have 
developing that foundation stones that when they go through a little bit of a mini slump that they've went, they've gone through this season, they've still got that togetherness, that ownership off the field that gets them through those periods. And, and so we look at Saracen, uh, Saracens and Saints. Saints obviously do not have that at the moment. Yeah, we might, may pick uh, some of this up with uh, George Robson later, but the more, you know, when you look at the game, the fundamentals don't change. It's good set-piece ball, taken forward, uh, recycled as quickly as possible so to create mismatches or space, and then executing. It's very simple. Mm. How you do that is much more difficult and changes year on year. And it, it's become at least apparent to me, and get your take on this, the sides that do best, best now, and this is the conundrum that they've got to crack, is how you take the ball forward. Yeah. You know, it was quite simple for a while. You have pods, people get over the ball. You know, you do it a number of times and you eventually get a mismatch or you get a lack of numbers because people break it down. But defences have got much better, A, at counting the fitter and making sure that they don't get outflanked, but B, on stopping players on the gain line. It seems to me um, you know, the way in which they say, for, for whatever difficulties they've got, the way the Australian forwards in their twos and threes you know, take the ball forward and pose problems for the defenders in terms of does the ball carry take the ball in? Does he play it back inside at the last minute? Does he, like Vanapola does for Saracens in England, have the drag back pass you know, mm. to a man running round, mm. just so that they are never uh, safe and secure in who they're going to hit, mm. uh, and especially in a double hit, which is always destructive. And that teams who don't, or don't now have that, or not are trying to have that variety, are coming unstuck. Would, is that a fair comment? Yeah, it is. I, I, I think... You're seeing attacks are getting a little bit more pre-planned these days and good example was the game we watched this afternoon between um, Exeter and Leicester. They had similar-ish attacking shape. Leicester, though, didn't do it with any sort of momentum uh, and so, so that everything was done at a slower pace and the defence were dictating, were dictating the, 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 um, the amount of speed that, that was going into the attack. I think... What we're seeing now, and Australia were very good at it, and going back all the way to someone like George Gregan and the Brumbies, and um, and in football, currently, if you look at Guardiola and the way he does things and the tactics that they employ, it's all around having momentum and having the ball and having options around the ball. Yeah. And so you you know, like you say, that that ball carrier needs to be doing things at pace, running into space, and having opportunities to uh, to play the ball into the next available space. Mm. Um, now that's harder to do if you've got no momentum. And if you haven't got understanding. Um, and so when you look at a team like Exeter, they can go through 20 or 30 phases. They, they, they're not too complicated on what they do, but they all understand it. They're all on the same page and they do have options and they do all understand those options. So, yeah, you know, that, that's, that's all about um, constantly pushing things and stressing players on the practice field so that they can put it into effect. On the, on the, and then having a, having a very good simple plan that everyone understands that has options within the, that ball carrier. I mean, the other option is if you have a Vinnie Puller or a, a Pickamole who is so dynamic that they invariably get over the gain line, everyone can troop in behind them. Mm. But even so, you know, to use that sparingly and then you know, use that as a dummy so that you have players who think they're going to hit that particular carrier and then move the ball, even make more ground. It's, uh, I, I, to what extent, I'm always saying, to what extent can you pre-plan this uh, or do you have to simply do it enough times so that players understand what their options are and then they decide 
in the heat of the moment. Yeah, look, in the perfect in the perfect world, you have a, a, a team that all understand. They, they have a simple framework where everything's black and white, that, so they understand the, the movement, and then it's all about player-led decisions. You know, Now, the teams that are a bit more coach-directed might have four, five, six, seven phases all done, and, and it really doesn't matter what, the, what it looks like in front of you. They will play to the script, and they will work in their pods in the various areas. And, and again, probably, you, you go back to the Brumbies, and they started that off with a three-pod system and all sorts of things that, that, that they did. At the higher end, and let's say the All Blacks, they have a simple formula where they have movement and op- opportunity around the ball, but it's vastly player-led on what's in front of you and the tempo and who you're passing to and what their strengths well, especially are. Especially, I mean, it's a well... Um, defined script now, you know, left or right, uh, Kieran Reid, and it's been the hooker Taylor, you know, or, you know they, or Coles, they, they appear mm. out there uh, as an extra man, either to take the ball in as a player who clears, mm. or if they get the ball, they're sufficiently talented to be able to utilise the space, run straight, draw the man, uh, you know, and unless you are aware that there's going to be that forward option, an extra man on either flank, whichever way they go, then... You know they're going to cause you problems, and and that's you know a perfect example. It's scripted, but the freedom and especially the player talent to understand and then do what you're supposed to do. What presents is the thing that sets that bit apart. Yeah, and and you do you do see it in other sports. You know, at the highest level, when you've got when you match both a simple um, framework of what you're doing with high skill levels, and and like in the NBA, it happens all the time where it's where it's they're working in their triangles. Uh, and they have a high skill level. They all understand what they're trying to do, and then it's down to what opportunities um, pr- are provided by what they're seeing and how they're doing it. And and the All Blacks, you know, we I know we bang on about them a lot, but they are the best at doing that. They they combine understanding a simple framework with high skill levels. Mm-hmm. Okay, time to uh, go to Sean Lamont, the former Scotland, Glasgow, Northampton, and Scarlets fullback. Uh, Sean, hello. Oh, how are you doing? Oh, Happy, mate. Uh, Merry Christmas and have a new year to you. Thank you very much. And the same to you. It's one apiece now in the 1872 Cup. Uh, an unlikely but breathtaking win for the 14-man <laughs> Edinburgh in the first one. It was uh, quite a remarkable game, actually. It was indeed. I've watched both now. And, yeah, it's one of those weird ones. Um, a red card can sort of make or break you. Either galvanise the team or you fall apart. And uh, an early red card certainly galvanised Edinburgh on the first leg, that's for sure. Glasgow sit atop their conference and third cheaters, which has been, I think, you know, early on they were uh, quite poor, frankly, weren't they, the, the, the Kings and the cheaters. Do you think, you know, and, and Kings are still bottom of the conference, B, uh, has that uh, uh, initiative worked, in your opinion? Uh, I still think it's a bit early to early to say. I mean... If the two teams bring something to the league, then yes. But if they're just going to sit and prop up the bottom, then uh, does it really does it really bring much? Does it increase the viewer and, and sort of scope of the of the league? I don't know. Again, it's still only halfway through the season now, just uh, just over halfway. Um, I think you have to wait and see till the end of it whether it does mean if the if the cheaters are, are pushing for playoffs come the end of the season, then I'd have to say yes. But if they fall away towards towards the bottom, then Possibly no, but again, it's still early days. Um, new conference firm, and obviously working out how the league works and getting to know the teams they've never played against. There's a big ask for them to come in, but I think give them a couple of years to settle down, then you can get a, a definite uh, idea of whether or not they've brought something to the league or not. 
Sean Ben here. Um, I, I watched both the Edinburgh Glasgow games, and one of the things I was I was sort of one man supporter band for Viliami Mata, Bill Mata, that's now playing at up at Edinburgh. Um, and I remember when he when he went across to Scotland, that one of our worries was was just the cold. Um, yet, yet so many Fijians have come to Scotland, and you take Leonie Nakarawa and Nicola Matuwalu and a few others, and they've they've loved it in Scotland. Um, and I don't know if you know why. Why do you think those Fijian boys embrace um, playing in Scotland and, and enjoy it so well? Um, I can sort of talk on behalf of the Glasgow guys. It's I think it's the, the teammates of Scott Scotland, so the, the, the team culture in Glasgow. It's I say, despite the, war, the, the weather, it might sound a bit cliche and a bit soft, but um, the, the, the the companionship you get with Warriors is is mm-hmm. very warming. I suppose that'd be the the best way to say it. Yeah. They, they come over and like Nico fitted in so well, and when he came back, he, he slotted straight back in. Same with Big Naxi. Like they were so welcome to the squad. I think that sort of helps, right? regardless of the weather. If you've got a good camaraderie and the team spirit in Glasgow has always been very high on on the agenda. So I think when you're over there, and yeah, it's cold and it can be miserable up in up in Glasgow when you don't see the sun for best part of a month and stuff like that. Um, you sort of forget about that when you're surrounded by a good bunch of lads. Yeah, it's, and that's, and that's what they've got at Glasgow. It, do, it did. It, we we just wondered whether it had anything to do with that the village the village life in Fiji and whether that's still actually part of Scottish culture. You know that that a lot a lot of the team will come from smaller towns or villages where community is important, and that yeah, helps create your team dynamic. Definitely, the team spirit. Like, the guys all still get together and either on the field or off the field, and it it does make a huge difference if. If you're up in grey, cold weather and you're not enjoying stuff outside of rugby, then it does make it difficult. But if you've got a, a good team spirit and you, the guys, and they do, they all hang about together so often. And also the other side of things is Glasgow going well, and they have done for the last few mm. years. If you're playing winning rugby or top end of the league rugby, then that sort of helps as well. If you're propping up the bottom, it does make life miserable anyway and if I suppose if you add the cold to that it makes it even worse but um, so it's a combination of things really Okay so talking about winning rugby what are Scotland genuine contenders for the Six Nations uh, Championship title? I'd, I'd really hope so I really would um, it's always <laughs> it's always been tough you can look at our past histories um, might have a good autumn international but then fall away come Six Nations but I think we've got a different level of player these days mm-hmm. sort of the young guys have come through are really stepping up to the mark we've got a lot of guys in the squad now that are products of academies which is I think for a big difference just for scope on professional lifestyle and yeah. professional standards but I'm really hoping so there's a lot of self-confidence in the squad and the players they've got their gel well together so I'm I'm certainly hoping so, but again, it's like every year, it's the proof of proof of the puddings and the tasting. Absolutely. Anyway, Sean, thank you very much for, for this and your past uh, contributions. Happy New Year to you. And you, Cheers likewise, enjoy. Take care. Okay, well, um, not before time, some would say, rugby's voluminous uh, laws are being slimmed down, and who better to explain what that actually means, if anything? Uh, we've got a man who spent his Christmas away from home. I'm not sure. Many people would have chosen to spend it with uh, John Lacey and his family. But anyway, what was that like, Nigel Loins? 
Uh, it was it was excellent, Brian. Good. I think the poshest Christmas dinner I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> it was very nice, lovely, lovely welcome and stuff. Um, fair play, it was good. So it made uh, being away from Christmas a little bit uh, a little bit easier, really, and and also as well the the game, the the Munster Leinster game was a great game of rugby yeah. as well. So it made it sort of all the worthwhile then, you know, being being away. So no, it was all good. Thank you, all good. Well, the title, you know, and the headline from Brett Gosper, the CEO of World Rugby, was the uh, slimming down of rugby's laws. What does that actually mean? Um, <laughs> I'll have to read the old law book first before <laughs> I can see there's a difference in the new one. Okay, well. <laughs> no, um, well, I, I, what they've done is they've, they've simplified the laws because there were a lot of laws in there contradicting itself and repeating itself mm-hmm. under another sort of guy. So it's like under one section you'll have something covering that law, but yet again it was covered then under another section. So they've, they've slimmed it down. They made it a lot simpler for people to, to understand and read. So the important message, I think, for everybody is don't expect a different game of rugby with the laws changed. The laws have okay. not changed. They just simplified it as much as they can within the law book really to make it easier for people to pick up. Because if you picked up the law book before, it'll be telling you one thing and then telling you another thing and then well, which of these are, are right. Yeah. It's contradicting itself really. Um, so what it's done now basically is to, it's to do it simplified as much as they possibly can without sort of you know, leaving things out of there where people are going to be asking, well, well what is the law? Because it doesn't say it to you. So you try to cover everything, but simplifying it really is, is okay. the key message, I guess. Nigel, I've been here. Um, I mean, happy happy New Year. Yeah, I'm good, thanks, mate. Just on, for me, one of the things that I've banged on about, I guess, for the last few years has been a couple of laws that you've, you've talked about there. Like one, um, that you cannot deliberately collapse a, a ruck and another that you can't deliberately come off your feet, which seems to be in total opposition to a judo roll and, and that movement at the ruck. Is there a reason why you think that that's being allowed, yet in the law book it's still fairly black and white? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good, good point and a very, very difficult one, really, to give you a, a direct yes or no answer because what, when we say what you can't do is you can't deliberately come off your feet and then prevent the contest. You come off, the reason players come off their feet would be because the, the team that has the ball is maybe tackled, they're going backwards, and they go off their feet then to seal the ball off to prevent the opposition from winning a turnover or counter-rucking and winning the ball. So those are the ones that we would deem to be deliberately off your feet uh, and you're affecting what happens next. And when somebody comes into the contact area, and then you clear somebody out. As long as you come in, you know, legally and bound on to somebody and clear somebody out, I would say there's a pretty good chance on many occasions you are going to find yourself off your feet because of the dynamic of the contact area. But we don't penalise those people because their actions have been positive. So look at it in a way sort of of... We look at it as a, as a plane landing and a plane taking off. So if mm. a plane just lands, just comes in and lands on top of somebody, then you, you may be liable to get penalised. If you come in low underneath somebody, remove something from the contest, and then the both of you land off your feet beyond that, then that is a positive action you've done. So that's why we allow that to happen. And quite similar, I suppose, with this judo role we're talking about. We have to be careful here that it doesn't become... Uh, legal, <clears throat> illegal and a dangerous play because if it does then we, we need to deal with it and that's within the law as it is but when you come in and you sort of you're grasping with somebody <clears throat> for that competition and then you land off going off your feet then we have to deal with it of, of what the effect is really mm. uh, Nigel just briefly um, the uh, clarifications and the protocols that go out in and around the actual published laws um, has there been any new? Are there any new directives? Any new initiatives or 
def- uh, definitions that have been given out to, to referees? No, not really. That's the kind of things you were talking about, Brian, are probably things that came around like, sort of this time last year yeah. when we yeah. were going to have zero tolerance on contact with the head or high tackles. Um, so those are what we call directives. It, it's sort of relaying how it should be refereed or how we're going to referee it rather than changing the laws. Because what you find with these directives is it's already in law in the first place. And whether we as referees have, have not refereed it as well as we should have or we have just not refereeing that law because it doesn't very rarely happen anymore. And then a director comes out and says, look, this is creeping back into the game. This is what the law states, so then we need to clamp down on this and, and referee this. So, for example, as, as I said there now, is when you come into the contact area, if, if we are finding that this, is, this judo sort of type of coaching they're doing is becoming a trend and we are finding well, this, look, this, this shouldn't be part of the game, then a director will come out and say, look, this is what the law says. You can't do this, and therefore the referee is going to deal with it again. So that's when the directives come. So there's, there's no real directives, really. The only thing that changes from time to time right, is, is sort of clamping down on little loopholes that coaches and players may try and find their way around in gaining an advantage, really. And then if that becomes a trend, then we, the directive will come out on, on how we will address that and what we need to do to, to referee that better, Then, for example. OK, Nigel, thank you very much for your uh, contributions uh, in the past year and Happy New Year to you, mate. Yes, and same to you all. Happy, Happy New Year and everybody listening as well. Time now to uh, introduce a, a new feature. We'll see how it goes. George Robson, the former Queen's London Irish Lock, is going to take us through the tactical breakdown on how to attack. And I think he's got specific examples from the big game tent, Quinns and Worcester. Hello, uh, George. Hello, mate. How are you? I'm OK. I'm OK. Fantastic. Right then, um, we were discussing earlier in terms of, you know, the the fundamentals of the game don't necessarily change. How you do that does change. And we were talking particularly um, the way of carrying the ball into contact. What do you want to uh, highlight? Well, I, I just think I thought it was really interesting um, watching Quinns in, in, the, in the big game ten. The the different parts of their game that they had to put in, put into play. Um, to be successful in attack. And the difference between an attack that really stresses a defence and, and gets behind the game line and scores, scores tries and is and a hard team to play against and the difference between a team where it's quite predictable and you know what's happening um, and, and what those differences are. So I suppose that one, of the, one of the first things I think that, that's, that's really key and I think that's Nick Evans watching on the, on, on the TV brought it up is the speed of the ball that you recycle it which enables the, the defence to reset or, or not or you know, set properly or not and again what does that depend on and one of those one of the first things has got to be off your first phase or the first few times you get the opportunity to, to attack you've really got to get that gain line and again what does that depend on well you need ball carriers who are really strong in the contact area you know you look at the likes of a loafer, a loafer, Jamie Roberts, and, and the, the, the personnel that they've got there at Quinns um, that were able to carry the ball to the line and get them first phase sort of momentum and everything else. That makes a huge difference. And then when you've got that, the other, the other thing that, that, that people don't necessarily talk about so much, or you could see actually for Danny Kerr's try, is the ability to have defenders being stressed because they're not quite sure where the ball's going to go. So if you saw Danny Kerr's try, it looked really, really easy. The guy just literally picked up, had a little run, and uh, the, the, the Northampton lock was looking at, in the corner of his eye, at Carl Sinclair running a really hard line, yeah. and that was enough to literally open up the space for Danny Kerr just to shoot straight through. Uh, and I, I, just, I just think it's, it's quite, quite an interesting 
way of looking at it. If you look at it, when attack's good, there's lots of different possibilities. So as a defender, you're looking up and you're, you're really not quite sure as to who you should really put all your emphasis on to make the tackle. And that's when the, the spaces arrive. And again, the, and then another thing that I thought they did really, really well, and this is, this is what young Mark Smith did brilliantly, is they varied what they did in attack. So they didn't just run straight or, you know, simple straight hard lines. They kicked. And again, it just makes makes it so hard to defend because you, you become unpredictable. And I just thought it's really interesting. Worcester are another example of a team that have recently just been throwing the ball around a little bit more having a go with it and, and having that continuity uh, and they've, they've had a bit of success with it, you know, a, a bit of a sort of fearless mindset and I just think it's a, a really interesting um, time at the moment in the Premiership where you've got teams who are, who are, who are throwing the ball around a little bit and, and possession is almost the way to, 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 to play the game. So if you've got control of the ball and you can keep hold of it and go forward, that's the way to play rather than hammering the territory type of game, which we've seen in the past be quite successful. George, uh, Ben here. Hello, mate. Um, Hello, mate. So, so when you're talking about that and some of the teams that you've played for, how much of it has been coach-directed? How many phases have you had to um, ha- have to play that have been through a playbook and how much have been down to what's in front of you and the opportunities that are arising? Well, I think the first, I think the first bit that's really, really interesting is if you look at the, the, the playbook, well, that's how you get over the game line in the first place, right? So if you see teams at the moment that might be might be struggling, it'll be their first phase defence. So off a line-out, team, a team gets cut. You're in all sorts of bother. I think London Irish have struggled a little bit with that this season. Um, and if you look at teams that do well, they, their first phase attack is really, really good. And that's really, really heavily organised, OK? But then what is important and what people put a premium on, and I think it's what Eddie Jones talks about when he talks about adaptive players, is being able to react in the moment and capitalise what you see in the pitches in front of you. And that's an instinctive kind of talent, which you can train, but it's not necessarily an organised set play thing. Does that make sense? It, it, it makes sense. You know, I come from a, a coaching philosophy where it's all, where you know, you try and make yourself redundant as a coach. But exactly. I, I get, I get, yeah, I get where you're coming from. That first phase, organised, looking for a start point, and then from there, ideally, players can play a bit more heads up. Well, exactly. Just seeing where the space is, and obviously, there's lots of different ways of attacking that space. And I think, I think what I think is brilliant about the Premiership at the moment is we're seeing the development of a group of players where the skill level is now really, really catching up to, the, to, to where it should be in the professional era with guys, you know, everyone keeps going on about props passing off both hands and being silky skills, but it's true. You know, if you can get, if, you can, if you've got these type five forwards or all these extra pairs of hands who are really, really, you know, dexterous and they can move the ball, it makes you so much harder to defend. Because again, if I'm a defender and I'm coming off the line and I see a Let's let's call out an old school amazing prop. Let's say let's say Julian White. Let's just let's throw Julian White under the bus. Who probably you know he he, uh, he filled me in a couple of times in games and dominated the scrum and was probably one of the, one of uh, England's best scrummaging tight heads. But if Julian White's running running uh, to, to, you know about to carry the ball, you know there's no ball coming out the back. So as a defender, it's not the hardest decision you've got to make. Whereas now. I've got to worry about Julian White of today. I've got to worry about him carrying it straight at me, carrying it straight at me and passing it, or maybe the ball going behind him, or maybe even throwing a dummy. Which is and what you saw. Was... Which is what you saw for Sinclair. We put Ward away, yeah. a little pop into into the gap, and then you had the sight of a of a hooker going round a fullback. Yeah, which obviously I could have done loads of times, but I just didn't have the opportunity. <laughs> didn't 
George, of mate. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> right, happy New Year to you and thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers, George. Take care. Well, as you know, pretty much as we said, Ben, you know, the, the, it's the development of uh, of options, isn't it? You know, and, and players being able, uh, not just tactically, but then uh, talent and, and, and skills wise to to execute the right manoeuvres. You've got to first of all appreciate where you are, identify the solution, and then actually execute it. Yeah, you have, you know, and then also you got to be. You've got to be able to, to walk the walk and not when the pressure comes on as well. You know, yeah. So stick to that philosophy. If you are going to allow players to make decisions within a framework, then, then you can't castigate them when things go wrong. Yeah, and uh, the big point you made there is you know, when the pressure is at its highest, you know, a lot of people can do this on the training ground. They can do it in club games. They can even do it in European games. But when you get to, the, say, for example, the highest level of the World Cup, and mm. the, the latter stages, it's it's, and that's the reason why the All Blacks have continued to be successful, and the, the the World Cup winning teams are their players do it when it's at its more, you know, the premium is at, at its highest. Yeah, and you've got to be consistent, you know, both the players and the coaches and management that that when that pressure comes on as a coach, you stick by your you stick to, to your principles and. Um, you've seen you've seen teams do that, and you've seen teams not do that, and, and the results are obvious. Okay, um, as it's the end of uh, 2017, let's just have a a very quick look back at some of the highlights, maybe lowlights. The Lions Tour was a huge event, um, a draw, unsatisfactory yes. all round in the end. I think have they People changed? Will... Have they changed it now for four years' time? <laughs> yeah. Will there be? No, a... I don't think they can because right. the thing is these. These uh, agreements are, are written uh, 12 years in advance because obviously they have to have the same for the three hosting countries. Yeah. So I don't... I, actually, Next I don't, to time or something. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I would presume, if they're sensible, whenever the next 12-year contracts are negotiated, they will put that in because yeah. uh, it, it was just left... I mean, what, how, you know, how much of a... What, in your opinion, what sort of achievement was that for the Lions? They didn't win, but... No, but you know it, it was um, it built up nicely, didn't it? It looked at one point that that the Lions weren't going to get too much out of the tour, and then they just dug in and then played so well in those Test matches. Um, yeah, that final one, obviously, it, no one really saw that coming, and as a, as a result, without having a result, um, but they did they did brilliantly well, and it shows you know New Zealand are susceptible, mm-hmm. um, and you know that and it and it added credibility to the Lions that it should continue, you know, because it had everyone excited and uh Well it will continue not least because it's a commercial success. And that yeah. uh, you know, these are big thing, you know, in rugby. Uh, it's a minority sport and the amount of competitions that you can guarantee you will get a, a twenty, thirty thousand away following that puts thirty, forty, fifty million dollars into um, you know, an economy when they do so, are very few and far between. Yeah. Premiership champions, Exeter for the first time. Yeah, brilliant. You know, uh, you know, I've seen them come all the way through the through the system, um, and they've stuck to they've stuck to exactly their their key principles on and off the field. And, and Rob Baxter's done an amazing job there. You know, the whole place should be congratulated, and it was great to see it. I still I still think we shouldn't have promotion and relegation in the Premiership, um, but Exeter and and there might not be too many more Exeters coming through the system. In fact, you can't see any. Well, funnily enough, I've just written about this, and I've just said. It's a bit, you know, you've got on the one hand, you've got the romantic rugby writers, many of whom have never played rugby, actually, uh, to any level, um, you know, and the uh, old stages who are saying rugby's a seamless game, top to bottom, it's important that... And I'm saying, look, let's look at this in reality. 
and the people who actually are financing the professional game because it costs a lot of money and it's you know it's not in a parlous state but he's always in a state where you know it could go wrong uh, and there could be big consequences for that first of all uh, the english game doesn't have enough talent you know to have uh, two uh, leagues of mm. Mm. completely professional players it hasn't got enough talent and b the fact is in reality only bristol have the wherewithal at the moment from the championship to want to come up mm. um, in terms of attendance and all the other things. And I've been saying for a long time, this is the reality. If you are fighting a battle year on year to go up, problem is you don't know you're going to win the championship until right near the end, by which time, how do you contract players, even if they're available? Yep. You know, because unless you're like Bristol and can afford and you can get the players who want to do this, to sign contracts to play in the championship for a year and then with the expectation of coming up, you're always behind the ball. And therefore, even if you've got a good setup, you've got an automatic handicap against, you know, the teams that are, are already there. And I'm not saying get rid of it totally. So I'm saying it can be seamless. I'm just saying if you limited it to, say, every three years, then then both teams in the championship and the premiership could plan their operations. They could give the young players the, t- the game time in the first 18 months, which they can't now because they're always afraid that if you get it wrong and you go down, mm. you know, you'll lose a load of players, you'll lose a load of money. So you don't, you don't take a chance from a kid on the academy. You get someone who can do it and you know you can do it. So I think, just think the actual reality, whatever you say about the romantic notions is if, unless you can solve those, unless the people who are, are calling for this continuation of seamless game can, can suggest problems out of what is actually reality, then they ought to shut up, actually. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and look, I felt yeah, London Irish were always going to be on the back foot this yeah. season. And and the likelihood is now they'll get relegated and then they will be like Bristol, the only team that really have got the the, the, the ability to go back up and, in the Premiership. But it's going to cost them a fortune and then they'll be afraid to go down if again. They, if, they, if they're backers, and I know they're backers really well, he's a good, good friend of mine, you know, the main one has been trying to get other sponsors in. If they can't do that and they simply say, I can't afford to do this, then a club goes, effectively. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, do you, do, I'm saying to, to the, you know, these romantic rubber do you want that? Because that is the reality of it. Well, that effectively has happened in the part. You yes, know, if you go London back Welsh. to Oral and London Welsh, yep. and, you know, and then when we had the amalgamation of Richmond Scottish and then Irish, people will say, know. "Oh, it's a shame." He said, "No, it's not a shame. Actually, you could have done something about this, yep. but you didn't want to because you prefer the romantic notions of, you know, the what about the next extra? What about the next Worcester? Well, actually, they're not there. No, they're not there. And if under a system which I advocate, you, they could do it in a more planned way. They would still have." the opportunity to be the next Exeter or the next Worcester, but it would solve a lot of the problems. And uh, I just, you need to get real, right. really. You've got, you um, got my vote, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> well, the World Cup is coming up. Um, I just I think it was a great shame that England, uh, I don't know who does these fixtures, didn't play New Zealand in the Autumn Internationals because I'm still slightly unsure as to where England are on the development path. I know I'm fully confident that in the first 18 months of Eddie Jones' reign, the trajectory was upwards continually. They were making strides. I don't know whether they've continued to make those um, because they couldn't play against the best in the world or the injuries and the depth of the squad has been widened because they've seen the players can come in and, and, and handle the rugby. I've still got a feeling that in terms of the game they want to play um, and the players to play it, we are not necessarily um, conclusive 
in, 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 in where they are. What, what, what's your assessment of how they've done the last 12 months? Yeah, no, I, I, like you, I'm disappointed that we haven't seen England play New Zealand, particularly when you're, you know, in November, Barbarians are at Twickenham playing New Zealand and you're thinking, well, why, why yeah. on earth is yeah. that not um, England? And, and, and not just once, you know, because we've seen New Zealand are fallible once or twice um, as they, they were against Australia recently and then previously to that island. But... Um, so you need to see really a couple more games. I, I I I don't think they're quite yet. I haven't seen a combination yet at ten twelve that I think for me is is the right one yet. And, and I'm a little bit um, twelve thirteen. Yeah, I, I think George Ford's an excellent player. I don't think he's going to win a World Cup at ten for England. It's my and and I might be in the minority there. Farrell Farrell perhaps, and then get the right twelve and thirteen and. With with various injuries to Alangi and Tio and and JJ, that they they haven't quite managed to get that combination that they've stuck with. And um, for me, that's the big area I think of of concern and, and at the moment and and concern in a very you know obviously England are doing brilliantly. So it's it, but it's I would still like to see over the Six Nations a more a more balanced midfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, back row. Well, um, there's all sorts of people that are popping up recently and, you know, we've seen even Sam Simmons now has put his, his name there, although he was dropped this weekend for, for Exeter. Um, Haskell's now um, fallen away a little bit and, and again, we've got injuries. So we've got um, some number eights now that have suffered some injuries and in Nathan Hughes and, and Vunapola. So um, they've got the, they, I think they've got the, they've got the, um, they've got the cattle there. It's just, again, getting that right balance and combination. Just as a final question, how long do you think Eddie, can, Eddie Jones can go before he hangs his hat on definitive combination? But assuming people are all fit and they're on form, how long can he go before the World Cup, ideally, before he starts playing these combinations and says, these are my first combinations um, and I'll only change them you know, in extremis? It's a good point. It goes back a little bit to what we talked about on having everyone have, being on the same on the same sh- sheet as far as exactly how the game is going to be played, and not necessarily adapt your game hugely because of the personnel you've got. And you know, a classic example that the All Blacks would never have seen is when you know they go through three or four fly halves in there in the World Cup a few years ago, and Stephen Donald comes in, and yet that they still win a World Cup. Yeah. You know that now that for me was the ultimate. Um, um, Hat tip to the All Blacks that their their playing style wasn't necessarily um, dependent on the personnel that they had a that they they played as a team, and I suppose that's what we need to see with the England team is that whoever comes in and out, we see a game that doesn't vary too much in its fluidity. So has he got? Is it a one year out? He needs to be, you know, doing that, or is it, is it less? Can he do it? You know, with one you know, one Six Nations to go or. Well, it, it's, Can you go right up to the wire. You've got. I mean, you know, the th- the thing that you can't do as a as a as a coach is start picking on faces and not form. So you have to keep your form there and not just pick a player and and then put him in in wool for twelve months and and stick with him through thick and thin. So that competition which England have now got has to ma- has to be maintained. Um, but he's going to really, as far as his you know twenty six man squad. I'm sure he's almost there on where he's thinking. There's just been some. There's been some good performances in the Premiership where people are putting their hands up, and I guess that's no bad thing. No, it's not. Uh, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. So, you've been listening to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with the Telegraph. Thank you very much to my co-host Ben Ryan, and as always, my producer Abby Patterson. 
Remember, please subscribe to the podcast because it's completely free and that way you'll never miss an episode. Thank you very much for your loyalty in 2017. Have a happy new year and we'll be back in 2018. Goodbye. Brian Moore's full contact is just one part of the Telegraph Sport podcast family, as you can also subscribe and download Total Football. Join Tom Gibbs and a host of Telegraph Football reporters as they aim to take you behind the football stories of the weekend. Your Monday morning commutes will be instantly better for it.